Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Jean Powell, and I serve as a shepherding deacon in our congregation. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Let us worship God. It is only by God's grace and protection from the storm that we are able to worship here today. We stand before God this morning fully aware of our limits and how fragile we really are. We are more than ever aware of our need for God's love, grace, and mercy. Trusting in that love of God, let us pray our prayer of adoration and confession together. Gracious God, we rejoice in your name to be here this morning. 
Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, says the psalmist. We praise you for the gift of life and for the blessing of being in community with your people. We delight in this sacred space that has withstood the storm and for the love that fills your people. We give thanks for the opportunity we now have to serve those who have fared far worse this week. Give us pause, O God, before racing back to our regular lives. Forgive us when we do not allow the gravity of such events to direct us farther toward your mission to love the world. Allow us to create a new normal for ourselves that welcomes our neighbors into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. God has heard our prayers of adoration and confession of our sin. God has once again rescued us. We give thanks to God for his love, mercy, and forgiveness. Even as we give thanks to God for the opportunity to help our neighbors and one another. At the heart of our praise to God, we also remember that the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Let us affirm our faith together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let us greet one another in Christ's name.
Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. It's been a quiet week here in Sarasota. We are certainly glad that we can be together. For those of you who are new to us this morning, we're especially delighted that you're here and we hope that you'll find this to be a place of warmth and welcome. It's always good to gather up the people of God because we always have good stories to tell each other and especially this week. I'm sure we have all kinds of stories we can share about our journey throughout last weekend and this week, and we know that you'll want to take some time to do that, perhaps after the service, find some folks to chat with and uh, share your stories. We had a story here at Church of the Palms. We want to kind of show you a little bit about what we went through this past week so you can be aware of what uh, took place as we sought to not only uh, take care of the needs that we had right around us, but more importantly, to take care of the needs of our community. So we kind of put together a little slideshow for you to see uh, what is happening, uh, what has happened. Slideshow, yep. This is what we found on Monday morning uh, here on our campus as we arrived after the storm. And uh, we kind of surveyed. And the miracle of all this, of course, is that really nothing was violated in terms of our facilities, no water inside our buildings. And uh, a lot of water outside of our buildings, but not inside, and lots of branches down. But we were so grateful that uh, even places where water would normally go did not go. And uh, it just, just gave us an opportunity to begin starting to clean up. And we were thankful to have so many volunteers arrive as early as Tuesday morning to begin cleaning up our campus. We had the help of our lawn crew as well. And uh, we got around and took care of all the, all the debris that was lying around our campus. Volunteers just jumping in to do what they could uh, to make sure that our campus got restored uh, to relative normal in the course of a very short period of time. Alongside of that, we had another group of volunteers helping to prepare ourselves to serve our community. Uh, we got our food pantry going uh, strong and we got our uh, a campus center available to become a Red Cross uh, cooling station for people to come as well as to get some hot soup and some Danish and some coffee and uh, to make our food available through the food pantry. Volunteers came to pack up bags and folks prepared meals uh, all throughout the course of the week so that uh, our, camp, our community could come and find Church of the Palms to be a safe place. And then our youth went out over the, the end of the last week to take care of several properties of, that we became aware of, of people who needed some help uh, cleaning up, and uh, so we were glad to commission them throughout the, uh, the week to help those who were in need that were a bit more uh, overwhelmed with what uh, they had on their property. And so we sent to several homes and got those things taken care of. So we are grateful that we've had this opportunity this week to be a place where we uh, got to live out loving God and loving neighbor. And we're thankful for all those of you who have participated and thankful that we can continue to do so uh, over the course of these next several days and weeks. We're going to be uh, Church of the Palms, hopefully the center of support to our community. Um, before I get to that, though, uh, as we were trying to do all these things, there were two staff members who were so key to letting us get done what we needed to get done, not just for our own site, but for our ministry to the community. James Thompson and Kathy Robinette. James Thompson is our facilities director, and Kathy Robinette, many of you know, is our kitchen director and our food pantry director. We're here morning, noon, and night, making sure that we were taking care not only of what needed to be done here, but as I said, more importantly, our community. So would you two please stand and let us thank you for what you were able to do. 
they represent just a great staff of folks who were just ready on the spot to do what needed to be done, and we're just so very, very grateful. Our chapel will be used over the course of the next several days, perhaps even the next couple of weeks, as a Red Cross site. First, as a cooling station for those who still don't have power. We still have one staff member who doesn't have power, but many of you know others who don't. And please get the word to them. They can come, get a cold bottle of water, get some plug-in for their cell phones, and just a chance to get out of the heat. That's gonna be available throughout the next several days, and perhaps will also be turned into a disaster, a assistance site uh, for FEMA and for other uh, entities to sp provide support for our community. So keep that in mind and we'll be making adjustments in our, in our schedule to accommodate that. Uh, many of you have been asking about how we can further support those who have been more adversely affected by the storm and we will be doing so by collecting supplies beginning on Tuesday here on our site and we will be listing what supplies we need or what will be needed uh, on our website beginning tomorrow morning. So be checking our website, churchofthepalms.org, find the kinds of materials that we would like to collect for our friends to the south especially, and we'll begin collecting those on Tuesday. You'll bring them to the front office. We will make sure they get stored effectively and efficiently and uh, that they will be you know, grouped up into the categories that, they, that we need, and then we will be sending those to uh, places in the south that will be needing our support. So remember that Monday, check the website for supplies. Tuesday, you can begin bringing supplies. We'll be doing that over at least the next week or so as we seek to provide um, support for our for our neighbors. Also on Sunday, next Sunday, we'll be taking up a special offering for Irma victims. And uh, so you may keep that in mind. Check the website as well. You can make a check out the Church of the Palms, give electronically, just market Irma Relief or the food pantry. Uh, either one of those will be ways by which we will be supporting our effort to take care of those who are in need. Today, you can take Give Blood. Uh, we have a blood drive going on uh, fortuitously, so you can make sure to uh, stop by if you want to give immediately. That's a wonderful way to do so. Coming Wednesday night, we're going to be talking about hope for a future. Adair Perner is going to be with us, uh, who has been our summer intern in children's ministry. She's going to be talking about the mission that she's heading off to, uh, Youth with a Mission, and that will be at, at uh, I believe, 5.30 over in the Campus Center. You'll want to come here, not only from Adair, but also to have a chance to talk about your own stories of what you've been through over this past week. So come and join us for that on Wednesday evening, chili cook-off, and a week or so after that, we'll be having one a chili cook-off for our neighborhood and inviting people to come and receive the hospitality of Church of the Palms, so keep that in your schedule. New members class today. <laughs> so if you'd like to learn more about new members uh, and being a part of our church, we'd love to have you join us. Cuba mission is in our partnership with the Presbytery. We'll be gathering over at Pine Shores on Monday. Uh, a service note, we're going to be singing our last two hymns in reverse order, so keep that in mind. Last hymn we're going to sing next, and then this middle hymn we're going to sing last, okay? It is well with my soul at the end, and uh, blessed be the tie that binds in the middle. Got that? Just making sure you're listening. That's just making sure you're listening. 
And then uh, lastly, if you know of anybody who has particular needs in our congregation that we should be addressing, just go to the church office and give, your name, give their names to Sarah Soboleski there at the front office. She'll take them down and then we will communicate with them and find out the best way that we can uh, provide for their needs as well. A lot's going on. Carolyn Wilson is with us this morning, and she's going to tell to us a little bit about a wonderful new class that's starting very, very soon. The Bible teaches us that genuine faith is more precious than gold that perishes, and that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. Karl Barth, arguably the most important theologian of the 20th century, says that the Word includes three parts— the Word made flesh in Jesus Christ, the written Word of God, and the Word proclaimed. We are blessed here at Church of the Palms to hear Dr. McConnell's great preaching every Sunday. But in addition, we're continually working to improve other opportunities to hear and discuss the Word and to grow together in our faith in classes and small groups because knowing Scripture is essential in knowing Jesus Christ and growing in our faith. This fall, we have some really great opportunities lined up to do just that. You'll find some of them in the September Connect, and more are coming that will be included in our weekly e-blasts and in the bulletin, so watch out for those. One of the new classes begins today at 10.15 in the chapel reception room, and that is the Gospel of John, led by Dale Valrath. This is a study that you will benefit from at whatever point you jump in, so um, whether you can come today or not, be sure and come from now on and invite your friends and neighbors to join us. Now let's watch a brief video clip in which Dale tells us about this amazing class. people ask me, what book should I read in the Bible? What should I start with? I always say John. He addresses such important issues, you know, why should I pray and how can my prayer life be effective? Uh, what's the power that I'm going to have to live the Christian life? And Christ explains that the Holy Spirit is going to come and going to indwell them and going to empower them. They're going to be able to do things that they would never ever, otherwise ever be able to do. The greatest prayer in all the Bible is given by Christ in, in the Gospel of John, where he spends his time talking to the Father, and we have the privilege of reading this entire chapter, chapter 17 of John, where Christ in his last hour is talking to the Father, petitioning him in our behalf. truly rich. It's, it's simple enough and undercomprehendable enough that the person that's never really studied the Bible before can really grasp it, but also deep enough that even with the greatest minds and the philosophical backgrounds, it has much, much to offer. And I think that's the reason why I love this gospel so much, and I'm excited about teaching it. I think it's going to be a great adventure, and I hope you'll come and join me.
pray. Gracious and eternal God, a week ago this holy place was empty. The winds were picking up, our people were huddled in their homes and shelters, three hardy souls arrived to turn on our taped broadcast, and along with millions of other Floridians we waited in wonder as to what the anticipated storm might bring. We hoped for the best and prepared for the worst. We studied the forecast and we said our prayers. We don't understand storms, O oh God, but this week more than ever, we know they come. This one came from the seas and filled the trees with bending winds, and we were in terrible awe of its power. The science of it is something beyond even the scientists. Jesus said, the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. This, this week we know to be true. True not just for Irma, but for all the winds of life. Sometimes the wind blows at our back and sometimes the wind blows in our face and there isn't much we can do about it except to know that your promise is that you are our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And we know that you overcome the world with your love. 
So while we in Sarasota breathe a deep sigh of relief, we know that you are even now seeking to overcome the storms of life with the love of your spirit. We know that even now rescue workers are hard at work giving selfless, tireless hours to help people recover. We know that even now brothers and sisters in Christ are making their way to our state and other states to lend a hand. We know that even now money is being donated. We know that even now linemen are rushing to return power to people's homes. A great surge of love and caring and compassion that overcomes the wind and the rain. Include us, O oh God, in that great surge of your loving spirit. We rejoice, O oh God, that this sanctuary is full again that the sun streams through the stained glass and the organ bellows and the voices are raised in praise and hugs are exchanged and life is lived. We rejoice and we pray for those whose fortune is less than ours, for congregations whose sanctuaries are uninhabitable, for families whose houses are filled with water, for elderly worried about generators, for migrant workers who have no plants to pick. Blow the wind of your generous spirit into our hearts so that our question is not whether to give, but how to give. Be still, says the psalmist, and know that I am God. So in the stillness of these next moments, impress your spirit's presence upon us. All these things we pray, O oh God, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings.
Ever faithful Father, giver of all that is good and true and beautiful and life-giving, may your spirit of abundance, which gives more than we can ask or imagine, multiply these gifts for your kingdom and bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ to our neighbors near and far, especially those precious souls most impacted by the hurricanes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated, and now we invite the children to come forward for the children's moment with Miss Carol. <laughs> oh, it's been a crazy week. So I was noticing on my, um, in my office, I have this little jar here of, um, of these pencils. And um, there's long pencils and short pencils and fat pencils and, uh, you know, and skinny pencils. There's yellow and red and black and white pencils. There's lots of different types of pencils in my well, little jar here, but there's, all, there's one thing that they all have in common, and that is that all the erasers on them have been worn away. <laughs> you know what that tells me? That tells me that I make a lot of mistakes. You know that? And um, it, got to me, it, got, it got me to thinking um, that these pencils are a lot, of like, a lot like people. The people come in all different shapes and sizes and colors. And, but we all have one thing in common, and that is that we all make mistakes, right? And that is why God sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. You see, he erases our mistakes. That's right. When we do something wrong, we can ask God to forgive us, and we get to start over again and again. So, unlike these pencils, God's, God's um, forgiveness never wears out like these erasers. Anyway, God forgives us, and he wants us to forgive each one of other people just like he forgives us. So, let's pray about that. Dear God, thank you that you forgive us. You forgive all of our mistakes. You love us so much that we can start over and you erase our sins every day. In Jesus' name, amen.
Our scripture this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are departing again from our narrative lectionary, which would have us back in Genesis, but um, it's been a strange few days, so we decided to change our text to wonder about what we are to learn from these days past. So today we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at the 12th verse. Hear the word of God. Paul writes and says, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose if all were a single member, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray that these words to come will be filled with your Holy Spirit such that they may point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name. Amen. Robert Frost, in his great poem, Mending Wall, tells the story of two neighbors who meet every spring at the wall that divides their property. It's a stone wall that every winter loses some of its stones, which fall to one side or the other, creating gaps in the wall. So on a spring day each year, the two neighbors meet to put the stones back in place and to keep the wall erect and complete. And as they go about this annual ritual of mending the wall, Frost wonders with, with uh, his neighbor if there's any point to reconstructing the wall since the wall was originally there to keep the cattle from roaming from one property to the next, but neither has cattle anymore. All they have is orchards and that there is little risk of the fruit wandering from one field to the next. Why must we keep rebuilding this wall? His neighbor's response is the now timeless phrase, good fences make good neighbors. Frost's response is, before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or walling out. 
and to whom I was like to give offense, something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. When life gives us the luxury, you and I are pretty good at building walls or at least establishing boundaries. What's mine is mine, what's yours is yours. Is the tree on your property? Is it on my property? Where does my lawn end? Where does yours begin? Automatic garage door openers allow us to slip into the sanctuary of our houses without Without neighborly contact, civil engineers have drawn the exact line between my property and your property, lest there be any confusion. Good fences make good neighbors. And you can't fault the sentiment that makes sense in this world, especially if what you believe is that a neighbor is someone you'll let get kind of close, but not too close. Someone you're, you're happy to touch base with, catch up with across the fence, but someone whose business you really don't want to make your business. Keep replacing those stones so there's no confusion. You're on your side and I'm on mine. I suppose life feels a little cleaner that way. And yet it may be, as well, one of the great human delusions. As smart as we are, as logical as we are, this thought that we don't necessarily need each other may be one of our greatest self-deceptions. Because the truth is, the universe just does not work that way. We are connected to each other, whether we want to be or not. We are interrelated to each other, whether we can see it or not. Each entity in the world affects all the other entities. You've heard me talk before about the work of Edward Lorenz, a meteorologist of 50 years ago who was using a numerical computer model and trying to come up with a long-term weather forecast. And when he was rerunning the model, instead of a, using a factor of 0.506127, he took a shortcut and just used 5.506, a minuscule variation, but what resulted was a drastically different forecast. And he realized that with the slightest variation of factors, significant changes came to the outcome. Dropping that point zero 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 one two seven was enough to, to bring about an entirely different outcome. It, it, it later became to be called the butterfly effect, the butterfly theory. The smallest actions can result in the largest of outcomes, and so it goes, according to the theory, that a flap of a butterfly's wings over Brazil can cause a hurricane to form over the Atlantic, which makes me want to find that blasted butterfly that got Irma up and running. <laughs> Barbara Brown Taylor in her book, The Luminous Web, says it this way, whatever language you prefer, the apparent truth is that we belong to a web of creation in which nothing, absolutely nothing, is inconsequential. The hairs of your head, a baby's sneeze, the gravitational pull of an electron at the far edge of the Milky Way, none of these things is negligible. None of them can be subtracted from creation or even rounded off without changing, she says, the whole gorgeous geometry of the universe. We depend far more upon each other than we can ever know. 
As much as we may want to distance ourselves from the guy across the street, the attendant down at the bank, the, the government official down at the courthouse, the horses in the barn, the cows in the field, the stream down the way, the sky above, the ocean deep, the sun, the moon, and the stars, we're all, whether we know it or not, whether we see it or not, whether we want it or not, we're all connected. We need each other. It may be the biggest thing that Irma had to teach us, this storm that has been a part of our lives for the last couple of weeks, and, and two weeks ago it was, it was something kind of easy to ignore, a little cyclone out there in the middle of nowhere, but that little cyclone got to be a big cyclone, and that big cyclone couldn't quite figure out where she wanted to go. Actually, I think she knew where she wanted to go all along, but we couldn't figure it out. Irma was ultimately a science experiment, right? not divine commentary. And while most of us would admit to hoping that Irma would not come our way, at the same time, we did not wish her on anyone else, right? We did not wish her onto the East Coast or onto any other coast, right? Why? Because, because we're connected to each other. Last weekend, we were not just Sarasotans. We were Venetians and Fort Myrians and Napoleons and Floridians and Southeastern Americans. We were human beings connected to each other and connected to some blasted butterfly in Brazil. <laughs> and so what did we think to do when the storm came? We thought to come together. People found other people. Neighbors helped other neighbors shutter their houses. Family members connected. Friends took in friends. All socioeconomic classes laid side by side in storm shelters. First responders put on their uniforms. Utility trucks sped down from New England. Georgians offered free food and water to evacuees crossing over their southern border. Folks without power stayed with folks who did. Bad storms make good neighbors. Bad storms take the veil from our eyes so that we can see what the world really looks like. An interconnected web, people needing people, creation needing creation. And somewhere in the middle of it, we are given once again a glimpse of the Creator. Oh, of course, we're tempted to look for the Creator in the trail of Irma's path, wondering why here and not there, but that's beside the point. The point is we are deeply connected, and the great joy of the kingdom is found in how we lose our oneness to ourselves and how we find our oneness with all of what God has created it's exactly what Paul is trying to talk about as he talks to those Corinthians about the body of Christ. It's not that Paul came up with some kind of new theory about how to start a church. No, Paul was reaching back to the very beginning of time, how it all came together, and it all comes together in being connected. In him, Paul says later in Colossians, in him all things hold together. The body of Christ is a foot connected to a hand and an eye connected to the ear. They have desperate need for each other. We get closer to the truth of God. God when we get closer to the truth of being together. Three guests came under the McConnell roof this weekend along with a couple of dogs. None of us had shared an evening before, let alone two, let alone in a hurricane. But when the wind picked up and the lights went out, what did we have? We didn't have cable. 
We didn't have the microwave. We didn't have the refrigerator. But we had each other. And there's something about that kind of community that beats even Netflix. In times of luxury or fortune, we are tempted to dwell on all the gadgets we have and even call them the blessing of God. Oh, but that would really sell God short, wouldn't it? We would be even tempted to think that God was the one who spared us from the harshness of Irma, but I wouldn't dare say that to my flooded friend in Fort Myers. That would be selling God short. God can't be that small. The one who set the entire universe in motion with his love and connects us to the stars and the butterflies. This God would not play favorites. Of course not. What he seems to want to do, however, is to show us again how connected we are. How much we need each other. Martin Rinkart was the Lutheran pastor of a little church in Eilenburg, Germany, 17th century. During the throes of the Thirty Years' War, refugees flocked into the walled city of Eilenburg to escape the mass killing in the countryside. And with them, they brought the plague. And so people in that little town of Eilenburg died at the rate of 50 a day. And it was the job of that local pastor, Martin Rinkart, to bury them. 8,000 died in that town, and among them, Rinkart's own wife. Stunning then, stunning to know that Martin Rinkart composed the words to the hymn with which we began our worship this morning. Now thank we all our God. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, who wondrous things have done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms have blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Countless gifts of love? In the Thirty Years' War? In the plague? in the death of a spouse. God is not in these things. God is in the pastor and his people, caring for his flock, caring for those sick and afraid. These are the countless gifts of love. And maybe that's what Horatio Spafford was thinking when misfortune came his way like a hurricane a successful 18th century businessman and Presbyterian elder who first lost a son and then his four daughters to a cross-Atlantic voyage ending in their ships sinking. Following that, he lost his fortune in the great Chicago fire and with virtually nothing and with his Christian friends blaming their misfortune on the sin they must have committed. Spaffords, the Spaffords boarded a ship for Palestine and set up a new home in Jerusalem and began a new mission, a new church called the American Colony. Their mission to organize soup kitchens, clothes closets, homeless shelters, orphanages, hospitals for the hurting in Jerusalem. They engendered the trust of Christian, Jew, Muslim alike, which prepared them for the wake of World War I and the fall of the Ottoman Empire and all the refugees that flooded into Jerusalem. 
It was Horatio Spafford's community who were there with earned trust and with countless gifts of love. Which explains, perhaps, why it is Horatio Spafford's name that is listed at the top of the hymn in the old hymn books, the hymn that we will soon sing in a few moments, It Is Well With My Soul. Words that came to Spafford's mind when his ship passed close to where his daughters perished. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Our fortune lies not in ourselves. Our fortune lies in the fortune of others. Bad storms make good neighbors. The wellness of our souls lies not in the fortune that's come our way. It lies in the fortune we find in each other. When the poet Walt Whitman left the comfort of his Washington home to serve as an orderly in the medical tents of the Union camps during the Civil War, he brought himself face to face with the devastation. Some of his greatest poetry came from that service, including the line, I do not ask the wounded person how he feels. I myself become the wounded person. And maybe that's what the apostle is telling us. Maybe that's what the Savior is telling us. Maybe that's what the sages from all the ages are telling us, that as much as we might want to keep that stone wall erected between us, between us and our fellow human beings, that isn't the way the world is. The world wide web enfolds us. We are as essential to creation as creation is to us. We are as essential to our neighbor as our neighbor is to us. No such thing as a good wall making a good neighbor. Bad storms, maybe, but not good walls. And in the mysterious web, all the joy comes from the countless gifts, the countless gifts of love.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.